Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Vaughn from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Isaiah 19, 20, and 21. And uh, we're in a kind of a pattern here of, of oracles or prophetic words for each nation. And so we've gone through... Uh, there was a word concerning uh, Philistia, Moab, Assyria, uh, uh, Babylon, and the most recent one we're, we're going to be reading, was, or the one we most recently read, was Damascus and Cush. And then uh, today in chapter 19, it's a word for Egypt. And, you know, you could look at this on a map and you can just see it's, it's, it's all these surrounding nations. And it's the word of the Lord unto these nations. And um, oh, today there's Egypt. There's uh, a, a one uh, together for Egypt and Cush. And then 21, it's again against Babylon, what uh, particularly will come to Babylon. And then uh, then there's a word in 22, we're not there yet, but the, tomorrow we'll, we'll be there. There's a word in chapter 22 concerning Jerusalem, and then it's Tyre and Sidon, and then it's judgment on the whole earth in chapter 24. And so there's, there's just this constant theme, and Isaiah, these words that he spoke would have been incredibly difficult words to carry because not many of these words are very positive depending on who you are as a person but there's a theme in in all of these words and it's just that eventually um god's going to be just judgment will be served the righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be forgotten about altogether and Depending on your season of life and depending on where you're at, that is encouraging. Depending on which side of it that you are, that's encouraging. And um, and for some of them, that word was convicting and would would have drawn them into uh, repentance and seeking of the Lord in, in these seasons, situations. But I want to start in, in chapter 19 and I'm going to continue to just not 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 really... I don't really want to look at each of these prophecies and, you know, look ahead as to the time in which it was fulfilled and, you know, all these sort of things that, that just don't have enough time to build on that in this short amount of time that we spend together. But that is a great study to look into, you know, these specific words and trying to figure out exactly when uh, they came to pass to be a good study in seminary or just something for you to sit down with and and look at yourself because if the lord speaks a word it comes to pass and sometimes it comes to pass multiple times and so a lot of these words i believe are have come to pass and then also will come to pass um but uh, in just in 
any book of the Bible, whether it's a psalm, whether it's a proverb, whether it's a book of history, whether it's something in the New Testament, whether it's a book of prophecy, there's still there is still a a rhema, which means the the freshly spoken word of God. There is still a rhema word for us in every portion of the Bible. So even if I open up and I read an oracle concerning Egypt, this word that was for Egypt is now before my eyes, and the Lord wants to freshly speak it to me. And so every time we open up the word, we want to find the the understanding of it and the application of it in its day. But I also want to have fresh eyes and a fresh heart to receive this freshly spoken word to me today. And what does it mean to me? How does it apply to my life? And it's not in a selfish way. Some Some people have studied the Bible and found that it's improper to find a personal application for everything. But it's but the word is living and active and it's sharp. And so I I must find a personal application for every word. Um and so we really need to to press into that. So in the beginning of this in chapter nineteen it, it says Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them, and I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each other against one another, and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom, and the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsel, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. And he goes on, all these words about Egypt. And, you know, something that I think is interesting, what thing that ministered to me as I was reading for this, I wrote it down in my Bible next to this, was the Lord is... He's consistent. If you see his nature in, in one passage, then he's revealed a portion of his char- his unchanging character. Okay, we never read the Bible and think and should ever think, man, I'm glad God's not like that anymore. Or I'm glad God doesn't. You know, God God is always like he's always been. And if that confounds you, then you have to dig deeper into understanding his character, his personality, his integrity, because he's unchanging. And um. Now there's a the 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 wrath of God the and the desire for justice of God. Uh, the only way that God could never change was that the justice of God and the wrath of God could be met by the sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus, so that I do not pay for the penalty of my sin that I am rightly deserving of, and God must discipline because He's just. But that through Jesus, he has already taken on my sin, and he has already paid the penalty, and I am covered by his blood. He has atoned for me. That doesn't change God's personality. God is still just. That's the beauty of Jesus, is that it Jesus was the sacrifice that God gave us so that his justice could still be served and his personality could be unchanged. Okay, and so we can never look at it like, wow, God was really harsh back then. I'm, glad, I'm really glad he lightened up. You know, he got, he, he got a little bit softer in his old age. It, it's not that way at all. God is always the same. So if I read something in Scripture and I see 
Especially if I read something that multiple times, I see a pattern. Then I really want to cling to that because this is a portion of God's character. And so when I was reading in chapter 19, what spoke to me was it says that I'm going to stir up the Egyptians against Egyptians. Right? This is something that God has done several times in Scripture is he actually turns our enemy against itself, against themselves. He turns our enemy. And, you know, so a promise to cling to in this is that the Lord says, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. And when I fight for you, I have the the power and the proven track record that I can even turn your enemy against itself and make that which is trying to conquer you instead conquer over itself. I'll tangle the feet uh, of the enemy. I'll, I'll entangle their feet together so that they trip and fall into the snare that they've set for you. Uh, and that's a powerful promise that we need to cling to. And so, And these words would have been spoken to a people that weren't really worthy of of being defended. You know, there are times when we don't really feel like we're worthy of being defended, yet God is still for us. God was still for Israel. You know, he had said, those that bless you, I'll bless, and those that curse you, I'll curse. And a lot of these words in Isaiah is the fulfillment of that. Even if they hadn't upheld their side of the bargain, he can't help but be faithful. And so these lands, these countries that were oppressing them, they may have experienced their temporary success, but God has said, eventually they will fall because my hand is for you. I'm always for you. You know, we just have to remember that too. It should just totally strip away all of our fear to just remember that God will fight for us and he's always for us and he doesn't look at us the way that we look at us. He doesn't look at us the way that other people look at us. He looks at us in a unique way that only he looks at us, where he looks at us and he sees the spotless, the blameless, pure, holy bride. And it's confounding to us to think that he always sees me like that, even on a good day, and he sees me like that on a bad day, and he sees me on the day that's in between. But if I'm if I'm grafted into him, I'm a part of him, and his Holy Spirit is living in me, and the blood of Jesus has atoned for my sin, now there's cast as far as the east is from the west. And so he at that point becomes my defender. Right? You know, and we we think about it, it's not that hard to think about, you know, it's like your children. You love your children. And no matter what your children are doing, you're still their defender. Even if they're misbehaving, you may discipline them. But if someone else tries to come and you feel as though they're speaking ill towards them or you feel as though they're being ugly towards them or they're oppressing them, even though your own hand might fall heavy on them at times to teach them a lesson, you will not tolerate someone else's hand being upon them. And that's just the love of the Father. And we, we, we know that love because we have that love. And um, so that's the way the Father's love for us is too, is just because we're not always walking in the right way that we should, yes, He will discipline us. Yes, He will teach us. Yes, He will correct us. Yes, He will let us experience tests and, and trials and, 
and and all of these things but but at the same time um he won't permit for someone else to come and conquer over us. He won't permit Satan to destroy us or devour us. He won't permit it, right? He'll he'll allow the enemy's own feet to entangle himself and trip and fall. He'll allow what the enemy attempts for evil. He'll, he'll allow it to be uh, permitted for a time so he can turn it together for good. But he won't allow for the enemy to conquer over us as long as we're clinging and abiding and remaining with him. You know, and, and so we just have to remember that as we look at all these prophetic words that the Lord is saying, I will fight for you. I'm always for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will discipline you at times to make you more like myself and so that you can enjoy um, the richness and abundance of life that I have for you because there's no abundance without obedience. There's no obedience without discipline. Right. You know, it's the same way with our children. You know, you're, we're torn constantly as, as fathers and mothers of our children between how can I spoil them and bless them and how can I correct them and discipline them? Because if I only spoil and bless them now and I turn my face to everything that they do that's incorrect, I'm actually going to ruin their life because one day they'll grow up, they'll be on their own two feet. And there will be at that moment that they'll trip and they'll fall and they'll hurt themselves very badly if I've not taught them to walk in their life. I can't always just push them around. I must teach them to stand on their feet and to walk in integrity for themselves. You know, and so it's a balance. And that's it's a balance that we get wrong and sometimes we get right. But it's a balance that the Lord always gets right. He always balances blessing His children with correcting His children. Blessing his children, correcting his children, and protecting his children. He's always perfectly balancing all of those things, and he always has. And so he, he has this word for Egypt, and uh, he says, but then when they eventually says, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord as at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts. In the land of Egypt, when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And, you know, and then it's began to talk about Egypt and Assyria. And he said, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. And so there's this beginning of these just prophetic words, too, uh, of just understanding that there will come a day when the God of Israel becomes the God of the earth and he'll be made available and because there will be a savior to come and who will make who will be um, a conduit of making God available to all men of all of all nations and all people and that's certainly true through Jesus that that Egypt has the opportunity to know Jesus and that that Israel has the opportunity to know Jesus, and, and America has the opportunity to know Jesus, and Canada, and Mexico, and all of this. He, he has poured out His Spirit upon all the earth, upon all flesh. Everyone has the equal opportunity to know who Jesus is now. It doesn't matter who our father was or our father's father. Now it just is about believing and accepting, trusting in Him, and abiding with Him, and turning away from my sin and walking in fellowship with Him now, and I have access to the Holy Spirit of God. And so it is, uh, it's a really special, it's a really special thing for, for us to be able to have access to that. But for them, it would have been, this would have been an incredible prophetic word 
for them to understand that one day, not only the nations that rule over them will be destroyed, but one day the nations that rule over them will be humbled and will actually bow down to the very same God that they have. And so there's a, the word against Egypt and Cush, and um, this is a wild one because it's, he, the Lord says, says, go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered the nakedness of Egypt. And so there's a wild thing, you know, a lot, you think Isaiah's words were strong. Well, even his demonstrations and things that the Lord called him to in action were just incredibly bold and wild. And you would have thought that Isaiah was a complete lunatic, right? I mean, the man walks around naked and barefoot for three years to illustrate a point, but that's radical obedience. That's radical obedience to the time that the Lord not only wanted to take a hold of Isaiah's mouth, but he wanted to take a hold of Isaiah's life. He, he didn't want to just take a hold of Isaiah's talk, but also his walk, right? Isaiah is the one who said, when the Lord said, whom shall I send? I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And if we be people that say, here I am, send me, then we must be willing to go and say whatever he says, even if it's words of judgment upon, you know, uh, dozens of gener- uh, genera- uh, dozens of um, nations and generations. But also, we must not only allow him to affect our our talk, but also our walk. Sometimes what the Lord calls us to is something difficult to minister and to speak, but also it's something difficult to walk out. It was very difficult to walk naked and barefoot for three years stripped down with nothing, completely exposed, right? And and yet he did so out of obedience, and the Lord used this as a demonstration and an illustration for the nakedness that Egypt was, was Egypt and Cush were going to experience as they were led away into captivity. They would be stripped bare. And so, you know, just as we, just as we, th- we think of that, you know, um, not many of us are going to be called to something as ridiculing, as embarrassing as this. But yes, we, we must come with the same heart that Isaiah came, where it was really that, that continuous. Every time you go into his courts, you should still come as Isaiah did and said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Every time. There's no way that Isaiah said that only in Isaiah chapter 6. And that was the one time that he held to that testimony. This was his cultivated lifestyle. Here I am, Lord, send me. And that should be our cultivated lifestyle. No matter where we go, no matter what we look like when we go there, no matter what it is, Lord, use me for your own good purposes to demonstrate your love, your grace, your mercy, your um, call for repentance, your your judgment, whatever it is that you want to demonstrate, Lord, demonstrate it in my life. My life is worth nothing to me unless it's used for the ministering of the gospel, right? And that's words of Paul, but also in, in 1 John, um, it says, uh, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we should have a desire that also that the greatest prophetic word of my life would be in my actions and the walking of my my steps and my lifestyle. Um, you know, not necessarily that in walking in my nakedness, my literal nakedness and barefoot. You know, although whatever the Lord may call us to, but 
this is just understanding that the Lord wants to take when 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 we volunteer ourselves to the service of the Lord. We're not just volunteering just that we would live our lives as we want to live our lives and occasionally we would open our mouth and his words would come out, but that my entire being would be devoted to him and the way that I walk and the way that I talk and the place that I work and and the way that I conduct myself in my home and the way that I conduct myself in my city and the clothes that I wear. He wants to affect the totality of our person. And so you can see that through through the life of Isaiah was that Isaiah had complete yieldedness to the Lord. And even if it meant embarrassing him, Isaiah didn't care. He was willing to do whatever the Lord said. And we see that through a lot of the Lord's prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel, and they, all these people would do these radical, crazy things, you know, uh, because it's what they were called to, because they lived a lifestyle of reckless abandon and complete yielding to, of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so in chapter 21, there's just a just a, another word specifically uh, about Babylon and that there's a watchman on the wall and he's looking out and there's coming a time when uh, there's going to come riders and horsemen in pairs and they're going to come and they're going to say fallen fallen is Babylon and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground and so um, he he says that later on it says within a year. Uh, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end. And so there's just this word here of just what is, again, what is so great and mighty and and impenetrable and unconquerable at this moment. Look forth, watch out, keep your eyes wide open. Don't miss it because there's coming a day when everything that's mighty is going to become rubble and ash. It's going to be completely destroyed. Every false god is going to be ruined. Everything that people worship now will no longer exist and the Lord God, the one true God, the God of Israel, our God, Jesus Christ, will be the only God left to worship. And let us worship Him now and forevermore.